Well, good morning for our scripture reading this morning. We're in the book of Revelation, chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21. We're going to begin in verse 22 and read through the fifth verse of chapter 22. So Revelation chapter 21 and verse 22. Revelation 22, sorry, 21 and verse 22. A lot of 21s and 22s. All right, Revelation 21, verse 22. The Bible says, And I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it. And the Lamb is the light thereof. And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it, and the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. And the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there, and they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. And there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life." And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, there was the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. And they shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads. And there shall be no night there, and they they need no candle, neither light of the sun. For the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, what what an amazing thing, what an amazing scene you just let us in on in in that little passage of scripture of what we as Christians, if we've put our faith and trust in you, will be able to experience firsthand. What an amazing thought it is to be able to be a part of this, that, that you even have allowed us to be a part of it, despite our wickedness, despite our sin. Lord, there, there is nothing that we can do to earn what, what you just talked about in these, in this passage of scripture. It's only, only by the shed blood of Jesus and faith in him, faith in Jesus Christ and his shed blood on the cross, that, that we can experience that firsthand. Lord, I just pray that you'd speak to us through this, through this passage this morning. If there is anyone here this morning that is not sure, 100% sure that they're on their way to heaven, Lord, I just pray that you'd speak to their hearts, convict them, work in their heart and life, and help them to, to know today that they, can, that they can see what you describe in these verses. Lord, speak to our hearts as Christians as well. Help us to have a desire to draw close to you. Be with preacher as he preaches. Strengthen him. Fill him with your Holy Spirit. And I just pray that your word would just fall fresh on us today, and, and our hearts would be open, and, and the ground would just be tilled perfectly for your seed. Lord, we need you We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning we want to continue our study in the book of Revelation and we will kind of finish up what we began last week and then tonight, the Lord willing, we'll finish up the book of Revelation. And so I want us to...
talk about once again the brand new city that's given to us here in Revelation chapter 21 and the first part of chapter 22. The marvelous heavenly city or the new Jerusalem is seen here in Revelation as suspended between heaven and earth flashing the rays of its glory on the earth and his people have a great concern for what's happening here on this earth during the thousand year reign of Christ, the millennial reign here on this earth. We are now in this first part of chapter 22, even all the way through the end, taken back to the millennium in sort of a final parenthesis in the book of Revelation. In this description of the millennium, everything is seen in relation to the heavenly city and in relation to the light from that city. The first word of God, all the way back in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, brought heaven and earth together in perfect harmony. But then sin entered and drove a wedge between heaven and earth. And now, in Revelation, sin has been dealt with, and at this point of the book, Satan has been thrown into the bottomless pit, he's bound in chains, and once again, heaven and earth is brought back together again in close harmony. And I want to just review a little bit what we talked about last week. There's some notes on the back of your bulletin if you want to fill them in. First of all, notice John's first impressions. All the way back in verse number 9, he talks about the mystery of that heavenly city. He says in verse number 9, There came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials, full of the seven last plagues, and talked with me, saying, Come hither, I will show thee the bride, the Lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain, and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. Now this city is closely, re closely related and closely linked to the bride. The city and its inhabitants are the same, much like the church and its people. Twice the city is described here to descend from heaven. The first time in verses 2 and 3 of chapter 21 has to do with its eternal state. Look back at chapter 21 and verse 2. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. In these verses, the city is seen descending towards the earth, and there it will remain forever. But here in verses 9 and 10 that we read just a moment ago, the city descends to the earth's neighborhood, and it hovers over the earth throughout the millennial reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we've seen a lot of things in our world and in our day-to-day -day with satellites and all those sorts of things that, that makes what maybe seem, seems an impossibility in the past to be a reality and something that could easily take place in, in our day-to-day. -day. There's no problem with God having a wonderful city that he suspends between heaven and earth. He can take care of that. And then you see the, the majesty of the heavenly city. And there's several things he mentions in verse 11 through 14 just by way of, of review. First of all, we saw how strange that city is. Verse 11, he says, Having the glory of God, and her light was likened to a stone most precious, 
even like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. This is a, a, a city that glows with light all its own. It will shine in the sky and, and it will be seen from the earth. Men will look from the earth and they'll see there the, the flashing lights of that city. It is a strange scene that is seen there. Then there's a, the strong city. He tells us in verse 14, he says, And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and in them the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. It is a strong city. Verse number 12 and 13 tell us that it's a secure city. He says it had a great wall. There's twelve gates there, twelve angels, it says. Names written thereon, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. So this secure city is guarded by these mighty angels. And back in the Old Testament, one angel destroyed the whole army of Sennacherib at one time. And there'll be nothing forbidden that will be able to get into that city. It's a strong city, as we see in verse number 14 again. These mighty walls are anchored to 12 foundations, and the names of the 12 apostles are written there. It's a city that's rooted and grounded in the truth. And then we see John's further impressions that are given. He looks a little bit closer, and he gives us some second thoughts about the city. Some of the dimensions of the city are mentioned in verses 15 and 16. It seems like this holy city is a perfect cube. And it is 12,000 furlongs, the Bible says, which is 1,500 miles square. It's 1,500 miles long, 1,500 miles wide, 1,500 miles high. That's about three-fourths of the size of the United States of America. You may say, well, how in the world are you going to get all the people for all the years in that place? They tell us, and I think I mentioned this last week, we're told that you can take all the population of the entire world, if you stood them shoulder to shoulder, you could fit them inside the city limits of Jacksonville, Florida. So God won't have any problem getting everybody into, into this new Jerusalem, this new city that he has. He has it all planned and has it all worked out, and it will be perfect and it'll be wonderful. Then we have some of the details of the city. John describes the walls. The walls of the city are 216 feet tall. That's a pretty high wall. Maybe we could get our president to read the Bible and take some notes on it. Now, that 216 feet high is not, that's not really that high when you think about the city being 1,500 miles high. The city itself was measured by God, and it's vast, and it's perfect. The wall was measured by man, verse 17 says, according to the measure of a man. And there's nothing compared with this city that God has. A beautiful place. All of the, the gold there reminds us of the deity of God and of his, his might. And, and the heavenly city is the dwelling place of God. And all the, the gold, again, points to him. And the gold there is clear as crystal, the Bible says, clear as glass reminds us that it reflects the glory of God from wherever you are. And then John described the foundations in verses 19 and 20. The stones there represent the glory of God in a dozen different ways. The overall impression is one of wealth and beauty beyond anything that this world has ever known. In the early dawn of redemption story, you remember Abraham, the pilgrim patriot, turned his back on Ur of the Chaldees, the Bible says, to follow the leading of God. And Hebrews says in chapter 11, verse 10, for he looked for a city which hath foundation, whose builder and maker is God. He did not find that city 
inside the walls of Jericho. He didn't find it in Egypt where they had built their giant monuments. He didn't find that city of his dreams in his journeys as he went around the part of the world where he existed. Job, or Jacob rather, didn't find it in Syria. And Isaac didn't find it in Canaan. You have to read all the way through the 66 books of the Bible until you come to the closing chapters of the Bible. And there it is. There is this city that they were looking for that has 12 foundations and each of them glow with the most precious stone. Most buildings, the foundation is underground. But these foundations will be visible and very beautiful. Each separate foundation will have its own jewel. And the blending of the colors will be a magnificence and show the magnificence of God's light as it shines on his throne. We won't take time to go back through all the different jewels that are mentioned there, but then John talks about in verse 21 the gates of the city. All other precious gems are made of metals and stones, but the pearl, verse 21 talks about, it says the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Every several gate was of one pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, as it were, transparent glass. The pearl is a gem that is formed within an oyster. It is the only one that is formed by living flesh. The humble pearl has some sort of an irritation that gets inside of it, or a wound, and around that offending article that has penetrated the shell and hurt it, the oyster builds a pearl. The pearl, you might say, is God's answer, just as the oyster, it's its, its answer to the injury that's been brought to it. These glorious, This glorious city and these pearly gates are a picture of God's answer in Christ to the wickedness that mankind has brought upon Almighty God. The one who was crucified on the cross at Calvary. And how like God to make the gates of this new city, New Jerusalem, of pearl. The saints, as they come and go, will be forever reminded as they pass those gates of the glory of God and that the access into that new Jerusalem is only because of what Jesus suffered for us on the cross at Calvary. And then John describes the, str the streets at the end of verse 21. He says, the street is of, of the city is of pure gold, as it were, transparent glass. All the walks and ways of the city will reflect the glory of God. Every step taken, every move made will be a step or a move along the path that brings glory to God. That's not always true here on earth now, is it? The very best of us wonder at times in paths of doubting and despair. That won't be possible in glory. There'll be no doubt and despair there. And then I want you to look this morning with me at some of the distinctives of the city. We pick up in verse 22. And it says, I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. The city is distinctive, not only because of all of the things that he's mentioned that are there in, chapter, in the earlier verses of chapter 21, but it's also distinctive because of the things that are not there. Aren't you glad there's some things that are not going to be in heaven? Amen? First of all, he tells us in verse 22, there's not going to be a sanctuary. There's no sanctuary there. Verse 22, he says, And I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. Solomon's temple and Ezekiel's temple in the Old Testament were rich with all sorts of symbolisms and 
were constructed by spirit-filled men, but there will be no need for those in heaven. The very thought of a temple suggests confining God to, to a building or localizing God to one area. That will not be true because he is the omnipresent God. He is everywhere. And in fact, verse number 22 again says, I saw no temple therein for the Lord God Almighty, and the Lamb is the temple of it. The Almighty God. I want you to go back to chapter 1 of Revelation. Keep your finger there in 22. I want you to see a number of places where the Bible talks about the Lord God Almighty. John in Revelation speaks of it in chapter 1 in verse 8. He says, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. The Almighty God will be the temple in that new Jerusalem. Then if you look at chapter 4 and verse number 8 of Revelation, Revelation 4 and verse 8, it says, And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him, and they, and, and they were full of eyes within, and they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. John saw him as the Almighty God. Look at Revelation chapter 11, verse 17. <clears throat> Revelation 11 and verse 17. Saying, We give, thank, give thee thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which art and wast and art to come, because thou hast taken to thee the great power, and thy great power, and hast reigned. Lord God Almighty, he mentions again. Look at chapter number 15 and verse 3. Revelation chapter 15 and verse 3. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are thy, are thy works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints. He is the Lord God Almighty. Look at the next chapter, chapter 16 and verse 7. And I heard another out of the altar say, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are thy judgments. And then again here in chapter 21 and verse 22, he says, I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. The Almighty God. There's no temple there. There's no sanctuary there because God is the temple. He is the sanctuary there in heaven. And then also there's no substitutes there. There's no substitutes. Look at verse 22 or 23. He says, And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. When God ordered the affairs of our present world, he commanded the sun to rule the day. He commanded the moon to rule the night back in the book of Genesis. But that heavenly city will have no need of the sun and no need of the moon. It will be lighted by the glory of God and the glory of the Lamb. The light that blazed on the face of the Lord Jesus Christ that the, the disciples Peter and John saw on the Mount of Transfiguration when he was assumed his glorified body, that will be the light that will light the city. The light that blazed from the face of Jesus. And that'll be the soul light. There won't be any need for lamps. There won't be any need for candles. There won't be any need for spotlights or LED lights or laser lights or any kind of light. We will walk, the Bible says, in the light of his countenance. The light of God. So there'll be no substitutes. The moon and the sun are just a substitute for the light of God. We won't need that light. And then there'll be no secrets. Verse 24 it says, and the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it, 
And the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. He talks about nations here in verse 24, and again in verse 26, he says, They shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. In Bible days, oftentimes the nations of the world would gather together gifts and they would bring them to the king who was the greatest king in the world. Part of the time it was King David. Many of the other nations brought gifts to King David. And in the time of this new Jerusalem, there's only one king, the king of kings and the lord of lords, who will be honored and glorified. And it says that they'll bring their glory and honor into it, into that, into that heavenly city. What an amazing thing that they will acknowledge and recognize that he, Jesus, he is the greatest king. He's king of kings and he is lord of lords. The gates stand open forever. Since it's light all the time, there's no darkness, there'll be no close of day to close the gates. There'll be no darkness at all. Everything is open. There's no secrets. Everything is revealed. The mystery of God is over. Everything is plain to see. The honor and the glory of the kings and the royal representatives of the earth will be brought to that city, to the king of kings. And the blessings of God will pour down in return. The error of mystery is over. Heaven is visible from earth, and men will live in the full blaze of the glory that shines in the sky in that new city. And then verse 27 tells us there'll be no sinners there. There'll be no sinners there. Look at verse 27. And there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth. That's anything that is ritually, ritually unclean. Neither whatsoever worketh abomination, or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. There's not going to be any sinners there. Only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Look back to chapter 20 and verse 15. When you come to the great white throne in, in, verse, in chapter 20, when God judges the lost, he comes down to verse 15 and he says, And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. All of the lost have one eternal destination, and that is the lake of fire forever and forever. But thank God, New Jerusalem, there's not going to be anybody whose name's not written in the Lamb's book of life. You've got to be saved to be there and be born again and be a child of God. Look over at chapter 22 and verse 19. There's an interesting verse there. God speaks about his word, and he says in verse 19, If any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy... God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things that are written in this book. You know, God gives a warning. Don't mess with the word of God. A lot of people are messing with God's word today. We have a lot of different translations that verses are left out and, and words are left out and things are changed. God says, be careful. Don't mess with the word of God. I'm glad I'm saved and I'm glad my name's written in the Lamb's book of life, aren't you? If you're a child of God, you'll be able to be a part of this city. There'll be no sinners there. All other cities have been centers of scientific activity, social action, deliberate sophistication. They've also been great cities of crime and sin and wickedness. Well, we see some cities like that in our world today, don't we? But not that city. This city, only the saved will enter it. This city, only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Sinners will be far removed from this wonderful place. 
even if they were somehow possible to approach that city or some way they could possibly get in, John tells us men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. And so Jesus is the light and there is no darkness there. They're not going to be very comfortable if they could get there because there's no darkness there. There'll be no sin there. Only those who are born again, children of God. And then I want you to notice John's final impressions. His final impressions, first of all, you see the life of the city in chapter 22 and verse number 1. He says, and he showed me a, poor, a pure river of the water of life. Now, when he says he, who's he talking about? It goes all the way back to chapter 21 and verse 9. He says, there came unto me one of the seven angels. Verse 15, he says, and he that talked with me had a golden reed to measure. He's talking about that angel. Verse 22, and he, the same angel, showed me a pure river of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. The life of this city. Many of our cities in, in our world are built along big rivers. And they're built on the banks of important rivers. That, those rivers, oftentimes those rivers become polluted because of the wickedness in the cities and because of all of the industry and so forth that takes place. But here's a river, the Bible says, whose streams make glad the city of God. This is no muddy, filthy stream. This is no polluted water. It's a pure river, clear as crystal, the Bible says, containing the very essence of life itself. It flows from the throne of God, that throne of God that is the source of terror for evildoers, is the source of life to those who know the Lord and have put their faith and trust in him. A river is used in the Bible oftentimes to represent prosperity and pleasure. But those two things are used by Satan to draw men and women away from God into many foolish and hurtful lusts. It is only by the authority of the throne of God and the authority of the Lamb that true pleasure can be enjoyed. The things of this world, the Bible says, the pleasures of sin only last for a moment. But true pleasure lasts for all of eternity when you know the Lord. The ultimate desire of Satan is to use pleasure. He wants to use those things that the world enjoys to try to pull us away from God. And the devil loves to offer us the empty pleasures of the world and to give us nothing in return for it but an eternity in the lake of fire forever and ever. Life in God's city is characterized by purity. It's characterized by pleasure. It's characterized by prosperity. But all three of them are directly relinked to our relationship to that throne from which that river comes. And then notice not only the life of that city, but notice the loyalty of that city. The loyalty. Look at verse number 2. And in the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, there, were the, there was the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruit and yielded her fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. I thought this was interesting. He says, in the midst of the street of it. Here's this river that comes from the throne of God, and it's in the midst of the street of it. It's like here's the, the main street of New Jerusalem, but right down the middle of it is flowing this river of life. And on either side are the trees, the tree of life, and different fruits that are produced each month, a different 
crop that is given each month for the people to enjoy that are there. What a wonderful place that God has prepared for us. It reminds us of the Garden of Eden. Remember in the Garden of Eden there were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil, Adam and Eve were forbidden to eat of it. The tree of life was not forbidden while they were sinless, but when Adam and Eve ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, God put them out of the garden so that they wouldn't eat of the tree of life because then they would have lived forever in their sinful condition. When sin entered, man could no longer be trusted with the tree of life. But in that city, God's going to line the streets and the river with that tree of life that now we are invited to enjoy the fruit of that tree that God has provided for us. What a wonderful thing. The tree flourishes in heaven. It graces that celestial city and lines the banks of the river and runs down the golden street. And then notice the Lord of that city. In verse number 3, he says there's no more curse. Well, aren't you glad one day the curse is going to be lifted? But the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. The word servants there, we are his servants in that city. The word servants there is the word bond slave. It is a person who makes himself a servant voluntarily. In the Old Testament, there was an example of the bond servant. When he was a servant to a master... At a certain period of time, after seven years they were set free, and after 49 years they had the year of Jubilee and so forth. But when the servants were set free, if he didn't want to go, he could say, I love my master, I will not go out free. And his master would take that servant to the doorpost, and he would take an awl and puncture a hole in his ear, that would indicate that he was a servant forever to that master. He voluntarily said, I'm not going to leave. I love my master. I love what I have here. I want to stay. In heaven, we're going to be servants because we love our master. And we want to stay and be a part of his kingdom and a part of his home that he's provided for us. What a wonderful thing it will be to voluntarily be a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then it's interesting because he says we are servants and he said, and his servants shall serve him. When we get to heaven, we're not going to sit around and do nothing. I heard one fellow say, I can't wait till I get to heaven. I'm going to do nothing forever and ever. <laughs> no, we're going to get to serve the Lord in heaven. There's going to be plenty of things. Just as God put Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden before the curse, before sin, they had things to do and responsibilities. In heaven, we'll have responsibilities and, and we'll get to serve the Lord. But it'll be perfect service. It'll be in a perfect environment and it'll be from a perfect heart. We're not told what that service will be. But we do know what he wants us to do now. Our faithfulness to serving the Lord now has a lot to do with our service that we'll do over there. And as you and I are faithful to serve the Lord now, God will reward us with higher service over there with him when we get to serve him. And isn't that a wonderful thing? Just think about those two words, serve him. We get to serve him. The King of kings and the Lord of lords. We get to serve him now, but then we'll get to serve him for all of eternity. 
Here's the climax of the whole thing, the Lord of the city. He keeps the best until the last. Look at verse number four. And they shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads. They shall see his face. Tiffany saying, it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. One of these days we'll get to see his face. We should look back to Revelation chapter 20 again at the great white throne. Verse number 11, this is where the unsaved are brought for judgment. And it says, I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away and there was found no place for them. The earth and the heavens at the great white throne judgment flee from the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. But for the child of God, the face will thrill at getting to see him. And the climax of it all will not be the streets of gold and the gates of pearl and all the beauty of heaven. The climax of it all will be they shall see his face. And we'll get to see the Lord Jesus Christ. And it will be worth it all. And then notice the light of the city in verse number 5. And there shall be no night there. They need no candle, neither light of the sun, for the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. The light of that city, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. When Saul of Tarshish met Christ on the road to Damascus, you remember the Bible says a great light shone from heaven, and that light was so great in its intensity, he fell on his face, and he was blinded for several days as a result of that light, the brightness of that light. And he was blinded by a light that was brighter than the noonday sun. The glory of it never left Paul. When Paul talked about that light and about Jesus, he says in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 47, he calls him the Lord from heaven. Before it was Jesus of Nazareth, but now it's the Lord from heaven. And Paul walked in the light of that light until the rest of his life, until his life was over, and the saints in heaven will look into the face of the Lord Jesus Christ, that same wondrous face that the Apostle Paul saw and captivated him. And in the light of that shining countenance, they will live in endless bliss forever and ever. They reign with that glorious one forever. The Bible says joy unspeakable and full of glory awaits those of us on the other shore, the other side. Remember what Peter said in 1 Peter 1.18? He says, Whom having seen, whom having not seen, ye love. And whom though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. We haven't seen him yet, have we? But one day we will. One day we'll get to see him face to face. Let me say this in closing this morning. Heaven is more than a destination. We all want to go there, but it's more than just a destination. Heaven is a motivation. It is a motivation. Abraham looked for a city. We talked about it in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 10. He, he left behind Ur of the Chaldees. And in, in verse 10 it says, For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. 
Listen to what the next verse says, verse 11. Through faith also, Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised. And he goes on and he talks about the different ones in that passage of Scripture and the various things that they had to deal with. He says in verse 12, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country. That is in heavenly. Wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. God has a place prepared for you and for me. And heaven is a motivation, not just that we're, 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 we're going to get there someday, but it motivates us to live for God now as we take the journey to obey Him, to please Him. Because one day, we'll see Him face to face. If you're here this morning and you've never trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you'll never get inside that city. The only alternative is the lake of fire forever and forever. But thank God we still have the opportunity today to put our faith and trust in Christ. And we who are looking for that city like Abraham was, we're looking for the day when we get to be with the Lord. Meanwhile, as Tiffany sang, until then, we're going to keep on serving the Lord and living for God and walking with Him and pleasing Him. Because one day we're going to see him face to face. One day we're given an answer, given an account for our lives. How we lived it. Why we lived in the way we did. Our sin has been judged on the cross at Calvary. We'll never be judged for our sin. But God will deal with our motives. He'll deal with our service. Our faithfulness. Amen. Heaven's not just a destination, it's a motivation to live for God. Let's bow our heads together in prayer. Father, thank you for that wonderful place that you have prepared for us. This is not just a myth. It's not just a storybook. We have your word. And if we can't believe Revelation chapter 21 and 22, we can't believe John 3.16. We can't believe Genesis 1.1. It's true from cover to cover, every word. And you've promised, as you said to, through John in, in chapter 14, in my Father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place, I will come again and receive you unto myself. Where I am, there you may be also. Lord, help us to be prepared for that place. And help us to live in such a way that when we stand before you and when we see you, we'll not be ashamed, we'll not be embarrassed. We'll be thrilled to see our Savior whom we have faithfully served and to hear you say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed for just a moment, I wonder how many of you here today can say, Preacher, I do know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I can go back to 
time in my life when I invited him, I called on his name, I asked him to come into my heart and life and be my Lord and Savior. I know my name's written in the Lamb's book of life. If I die today, I know I'm going to heaven. Not because of how good I am or who I am, but because of who Jesus is and what he did for me. I've placed my faith and trust in the shed blood of Jesus Christ, and I know if I die today, I'm going to heaven. If you know that for sure, with our heads bowed and eyes closed, would you just raise your hand as a testimony of that fact? I know for sure if I die today, I'm going to heaven. I'm going to get to be there someday and be with the Lord. Thank you. You may put your hands down. If you could not raise your hand, you would say, Preacher, I want to know that. I want to know I'm going. I want to go to heaven. I'll not embarrass you or point you out, but I'd like to pray for you. Say, preacher, I don't know that, but I'd like to. Would you pray for me? Would you just slip up your hand right now while our heads are bowed and eyes closed? Just lift it up. God bless you. I see your hand. Yes. Is there anyone else? I want to know that for sure. Pray for me, preacher. Anyone else? Just lift it up and let us pray for you. God bless you. You may put it down. I wonder how many of you here this morning say, preacher, I know I'm going to heaven. I know I'm saved. I've settled it. I'm sure of it. I'm not so sure about that not being embarrassed or ashamed. I know I'm saved. I know I'm going to heaven, but I've not really been living like I ought to. And There's some things in my life God's speaking to me about right now. I need to make some things right. I need to get back on track. I need to make my life count for the Lord. Would you pray for me this morning that I'll get things straightened out and I'll get my life back on track? Pray for me this morning. Would you lift your hand and let me pray for you? God bless you. God bless you. Yes, yes. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Father, you know our hearts today. And what we're talking about here is, is heaven, eternity. It's why you sent your son to die on an old rugged cross. So we could know for sure we're going to heaven. And so in love and appreciation for what you've done for us, we can serve you faithfully. We've all failed in many ways. We want your forgiveness. We want your cleansing. We want your power and your help to walk with you and live for you and serve you. And those who do not know for sure, Lord, would you give them today the strength and courage to step out in a moment when we give our invitation and come and give their life to Jesus Christ and to settle it today. Help them, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.